say we roll up to the microphones and start another edition of Midday on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Dirk Christensen, surrounded here by the round table. We have Jason and Bob, and Susan is out there somewhere in the ethereal <laughs> Nebraska atmosphere. Where are you today, Susan? Surprise. <laughs> That's Surpri- a surprise. That's where I'm at today. I'm in surprise. It's never a surprise when Susan is in surprise. How was the morning in surprise? It was beautiful. It was nice and cool, like 58 degrees this morning. I would have liked to have had it stay that way mm-hmm. the rest of the day, but the corn and the soybeans would disagree with me. So, yeah. Getting to that point where they're getting to, uh, that, uh, that sound of that corn starting to grow. It's very small. It's very uh, very subtle right now, but if you listen closely, you can you can hear that out in the fields now. All right, Susan, let's find out what the ag team is tag teaming today. All right, you know school is out, which means you gotta feed your kids. And at twelve nineteen, Clay talks with the North American Meat Institute's Janet Riley about why beef is important component in your child's diet. Then at 12.45, we're still on that beef trend. I catch up with J.D. Alexander, past president of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association and a producer from Pender, Nebraska, as he attended the World Meat Converse, uh, Congress this last week and talked about the importance of it to the beef industry. And then at 1.17, Courtney Hall will join Clay with Cargill talking about how they're looking at water sustainability and why they want to help conserve water use in agriculture. All right. It's more and more important all the time. Thanks, and we'll uh, turn you loose with your ag team and listen for it all on midday. Thank you, Susan. Jason Jorgensen over here got a big name that uh, appears to be headed to the Huskers, huh? Luke McCaffrey. He is the son of former Bronco great receiver Ed McCaffrey. Of course, Ed's had some kids who've turned out to be pretty decent football players. Well, there's good genetics and, uh, there. Yes, and uh, Luke gave his verbal commitment to the Big Red yesterday. He is a four-star recruit. Uh, he could possibly play quarterback for Nebraska or some other positions, but uh, out of nowhere, he verbally committed yesterday. Yeah, and, and there were some big schools going after. Well, there that was day, Ohio too. State, Michigan. I mean, you go down the laundry list. So it's uh, it's certainly a recruiting win uh, for for Coach Scott Frost. Of course, nothing is official until you sign on that dotted line, and I'm sure they would like to have McCaffrey uh, sign on the early signing period coming up in uh, December. Coming up, we'll get the thoughts of one recruiting analyst about uh, this verbal commitment. But certainly it's a big uh, big kick yeah. uh, for the Huskers in their uh, recruiting um, as they try to put things together for the 2019 recruiting class. Also, we'll talk Super Regional Baseball. You know, we are edging closer and closer to the CWS, which will start the middle of this month in Omaha. One Big Ten team is still alive. That's Minnesota. The Gophers have had a season to remember. They'll have their Super Regional out west as they will begin things on Friday at Oregon State. Will that be the closest team to root for? For I think so. I, I think so. All right. Okay. Bob Brogan is over here with some business news. Stocks are mostly lower in midday trading after posting solid gains over the last two days. Some kind of big news today. Tyson Foods is going to buy the maker of Smart Chicken brand of poultry. So that's some big industry news. Also, U.S. businesses posted the most job openings on record in April for the second straight month. All right, in a lot of topics, posting the most is the most important thing. And you're listening to Midday on the Rural Radio Network. 
Let's talk some weather. It is on the warm side and getting warmer. And as we head into the next couple of days, some possibilities of seeing some showers and thunderstorms. Why am I talking? <laughs> We've got Paul Perkins here for Cooled and Repair. Get you the whole lowdown here. Yeah, uh, at least to offset some of this dryness uh, that we're getting with these uh, hot temperatures today. We do have some good chances of thunderstorms tomorrow night and Thursday night across the area. So hopefully that will offset some of the dryness that maybe some are concerned with. I like the official terminology of the forecast today, fizzle. <laughs> yeah, fizzle's a good one. We don't hear that often in the meteorological terminology. But it is going to, yeah, gradually fizzle out. We could see some thunderstorms late in the day towards the west, but as Dirk mentioned, they're probably going to fizzle out today, but a better chance of that coming up tomorrow. Already some very hot temperatures towards northeast Colorado and northwest Kansas, 90 to 95, including 95 right now already on the temperature towards Holyoke. Most of us, though, with temperatures into the low 80s, our temperatures will warm back into the 90s today and tomorrow as a ridge of high pressure moves over the plains. A few thunderstorms could pop up towards the western high plains late this afternoon with a weak disturbance. But as Dirk mentioned, they will gradually fizzle out as they track to the east, kind of run into that ridge of high pressure. Thunderstorms, though, expected to impact the region tomorrow night and Thursday night with a marginal risk of some severe activity. Right now, not expecting a big outbreak of severe weather. That could change. We will keep you up to date. Tomorrow night appears to have the better chance of some widespread activity. Some thunderstorms should move in from the high plains. Also, a weak front will bring some additional thunderstorm chances from the north late tomorrow night. Additional thunderstorm chances expected on Thursday as that front lingers. But beyond Thursday, those thunderstorm chances look to be off and on through the weekend with temperatures staying on the warmer than normal side. It looks to stay warm in our long-term forecast also. There's a continued good chance of warmer than normal temperatures for Nebraska, Kansas, and the nation's midsection Sunday through June 18th. So June very much starting off on a very warm note. Forecast starts with below normal rainfall for Nebraska and Kansas early next week and then trends near normal rainfall the middle of next week through June 18th. So we do back off on those dry conditions. The European forecast, though, is out for the summer months of June, July, and August. With that forecast model, it indicates a very good likelihood Nebraska and Kansas will be warmer than normal for temperatures and below normal on rainfall. Now, for reference, the National Weather Service latest forecast for the summer months of June, July, and August predict near normal to warmer than normal on temperatures and near normal rainfall. In the markets, weather factors affecting trade include a still favorable pattern in the Midwest and more heat and dryness across the southern plains. The Midwest weather pattern will stay favorable for developing corn and soybeans over the next 10 days. Adequate soil moisture will be maintained despite some periods of warmer to much warmer than normal temperatures. Light to moderate rain is forecast for the Midwest late in the week. In the Southern Plains wheat areas, hot and dry weather will stress the wheat in western Kansas. That's currently in the filling stage. Other crops in the Southern Plains will continue to be stressed by the warmer to much warmer than normal temperatures and very little rain. The Northern Plains will continue with favorable weather for crops as some off and on rain ease their dryness concerns. Towards the Delta, conditions mostly favorable for corn and soybeans for the time being, but heat from the Southwest Plains does bear some watching for some possible stress to their crops for the Delta. All right, and your regional ag weather brought to you today by Coolman Repair. Let's uh, look at these temperatures. They're headed up 90s today, tomorrow, the next day, and the next day? Yeah, yeah. Uh, could see maybe a little easing on those temperatures, but overall, yeah, about 85 to 95 for the most part over the next several days. And staying on the toasty side, keep those air, air conditioners running and 
keep an eye out for some potential rain chances to offset that heat. All right. Well, we could always use that as long as we don't dry everything all out. This is just about the perfect situation, isn't it? Exactly, yeah. At least that long-term forecast next week indicating near-normal rainfall uh, could be just a little bit dry for the weekend and early next week. All right. When you need weather anytime, krvn.com. U.S. pork producers respond to Mexican retaliation. I'm Jaylee Peters joining you now on the Rural Radio Network. Let's take a midday look at Ag News. Mexico today levied punitive tariffs, 10% effective today, escalating to 20% on July 5th on unprocessed pork, not including variety meats, in retaliation for tariffs on its metal exports to the United States. Mexico's decision follows similar retaliation in early April by China, which imposed additional 25% tariffs on U.S. pork, reducing live hog values by as much as $18 per animal on an annualized basis. MPPC president and pork producer from Johnston, Ohio, Jim Heimroll, says the toll on rural America from escalating trade disputes with critically important trade partners is mounting. Mexico is U.S. pork's largest export market, representing nearly 25% of all U.S. pork shipments last year. A 20% tariff eliminates our ability to compete effectively in Mexico. This is devastating to my family and pork producing families across the United States. We appreciate the variety of interests and issues the Trump administration is balancing in its trade negotiations with Mexico, China, and other countries. While producers are trying to be good soldiers, we're taking on water fast. The president has said that he would not abandon farmers. We take him at his word. The U.S. pork sector sustains more than 500,000 jobs across rural America. More than 110 of these jobs are directly tied to exports of American pork. And Tyson Foods is buying the Nebraska company that makes the Smart Chicken brand of air-cooled chicken. Tyson says it plans to keep Tecumseh Poultry's roughly 600 workers and allow the company to operate as a separate subsidiary. Terms of the deal were not disclosed yet. Smart Chicken's air-chilled method of processing differs from the common industry practice of water chilling. The company started in 1998 and has two plants in Waverly and Tecumseh, Nebraska. Tyson's chief marketing officer for Poultry Air Sports says acquiring this brand will help the company offer more choices for consumers. Springdale, Arkansas-based Tyson already owns the Nature Raised Farms and Adele's brands of organic products. And Deering Company announced it has taken legal action against Precision Planting LLC and Agco Corporation, claiming that the companies have infringed on 12 John Deere patents. The Deere patents, according to a company news release, relate to several of the unique and inventive aspects of John Deere planting equipment, many of which are embodied in the state of art technology. Deere filed the complaint in the United States District Court in Delaware, asserting that it has suffered damages because of the infringement and will continue to suffer such damages if the infringement continues. The lawsuit states that products made or sold by precision planting, including V-set seed meters along with speed tube products, infringe on Deere patents. Agco acquired precision planting in September of 2017. And finally, corn planting was 97% complete as of Sunday, according to the USDA's NAS Weekly Crop Progress Report released yesterday afternoon. Nationwide corn planting progress jumped 5 percentage points last week, up from 92% the previous week. 
Corn emergence was at 86% nationwide, and corn condition last week was rated at 78%, good to excellent, one percentage point down from the previous week's rating of 79%. Soybean planting was estimated at 87% complete, and that's 12 percentage points ahead of the average of 75%. Winter wheat was 83% headed behind last year's 86% and equal to the five-year average. Winter wheat condition last week was rated at 37%, good to excellent. That's down from the previous week's rating of 38 percent now let's look at your midday ag news you're listening to the rural radio network proper nutrition is important throughout a child's development but as many of us can recall we didn't always like finishing our plate especially with some of those vegetables on board but there was something that kids still today enjoy and that is beef so that's why the north american meat institute alongside the beef checkoff has partnered together to not only show the importance of beef in a child's diet, but how they can get them to consume other important nutrients they needed every day by pairing it with beef. We learn more right here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton. Joining us to bring us more information is, is Senior Vice President of Public Affairs Janet Riley of the North American Meat Institute. What is important about beef in a child's diet? We know that these beef products like pastrami and roast beef and and hot dogs, jerky, they're satisfying, they're nutritious, and they give kids really critical vitamins and minerals like iron and B12. So we're hoping we're going to see more people um, use these favorite beef products as anchors to get kids to increase their fruit and vegetable consumption. It's interesting that in the U.S., uh, the protein category is the one food group that, that we're consuming at the proper levels, but we're really under-consuming fruits, vegetables, and whole grains. And so we think this could be a real help. And there's another benefit. Beef has uh, nutrients in it that can kind of help your body get nutrients out of vegetables. So, for example, beef is a rich source of what we call heme iron, which is the most absorbable form of, of iron. Now, vegetables have non-heme iron, and the body doesn't absorb non-heme iron as well. But when you pair a source of heme iron with a source of non-heme iron, like beef with spinach or beef with green bean, for example, you're going to be able to pull more of that iron out. So there's so many good reasons to put these items together. Janet, when it comes to getting kids to eat right, is it all about the taste or are there other components that go into making a meal appetizing to a child, especially when it has beef in it? We've also offered ideas about how to make them visually interesting. Like the green bean twists have roast beef wrapped around the green bean, and they just look pretty. And that may seem silly, but for kids, the visual appeal is really important. Skewering uh, items with a pretty toothpick, like we do in our doggy bobs where we have a cut-up beef hot dog skewered with some apple chunks and other fruits, that can really make a child want to try the food. And these are also easy to prepare, and you can try to engage your child in helping prepare the food, and research shows that when, you, when your child helps prepare the food, they're more invested in it and more likely to try it. Janet, the million-dollar question. Parents that want to try these ideas with beef and vegetables, where can they go to find out more information on it? They can find these on meatpoultrynutrition.org. That's our nutrition website. As we round out the interview here, Janet, can you give us some insight on what the North American Meat Institute and the Beef Checkoff are looking at next to look further into? Well, we've recently launched a new initiative called Beef She. 
And it's basically a takeoff on sushi. And it stems from the fact that I'm not a big sushi fan because I don't like to eat raw fish, but my husband does. And one day it occurred to me, what if we could just put some meat in sushi? I'd be more inclined to go to a sushi restaurant with him. So I decided to call up the same chef who created these kid-friendly recipes and asked her to create something called beefshi. And so she created sushi takeoffs. And so if you go to beefshi.com, you can see all sorts of rolls that look just like traditional sushi, but they're actually made out of pastrami and roast beef and jerky. Thank you, Janet. This is the Rural Radio Network. You're listening to Midday on the Rural Radio Network. Time to check sports with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Derek. Well, the NCAA has announced sites for the eight Super Regionals for the Division I Baseball Tournament. The Best of Three Series begins Friday and Saturday. Of course, winners will advance on to the College World Series, which opens up on June 16th in Omaha. Now, the Super Regionals start on Friday. Minnesota plays at Oregon State. It's Stetson at North Carolina. Cal State Fullerton will host Washington and Mississippi State visits Vanderbilt. With those Super Regionals beginning on Saturday, it's Auburn at top-seeded Florida. Duke visits Texas Tech. South Carolina visits Arkansas and Texas Tech. They'll play at Texas. Nebraska football added a big commit yesterday, landing a verbal pledge from 2019 quarterback Luke McCaffrey from Colorado. Nick Klaus of HuskerOnline.com was a guest on Sports Nightly this week, and he says that commitment really came out of nowhere. For the most part, it was it was kind of a surprising commitment. Um, you know, those of us that cover recruiting, it, it kind of started to, to hear some rumblings here over the last, I'd say, 24, 48 hours. But, um, you know, for the, for the most part, this, this was a decision that, that came as a surprise to a lot of people. The six foot three, one hundred and eighty pound McCaffrey is a four star athlete who chose the Huskers over offers from the likes of Ohio State, Michigan, North Carolina, and Virginia. He is the son of former Denver Bronco great Ed McCaffrey. Well, the Royals have selected Brady Singer, a right-handed pitcher out of Florida, with their top selection of the first year player draft. He was the eighteenth overall pick. Singer's a six foot five, one hundred and eighty pounder. He won eleven and one this year. He was ranked the second best prospect in the draft, according to MLB.com. Colorado chose Grant Levine with a forty second pick. He had earned a scholarship to play for Wake Forest, but now will likely turn pro. MLB estimates his contract valued around $1.7 million. Madison Keys has advanced to her first French Open semifinal. The runner-up of the U.S. Open last year has improved a lot on clay and is 11-3 on that surface so far this year. This is the first time the 13-seeded American player, a semifinalist at the Australian Open three years ago, advances to a Grand Slam semifinal, not on a hard court. And former NFL quarterback Oliver Luck is leaving his high-ranking position at the NCAA to become commissioner of the XFL. This is the second edition of professional wrestling mogul Vince McMahon's Football League. That's a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. Mostly clear skies tonight, a slight chance of thunderstorms in the central, lows upper 60s in the east and central, and to the upper 50s in the west. I'm Dave Schroeder. A Nebraska judge has tossed out a lawsuit challenging the state's lethal injection protocol. The move marks the second time in recent months that a court has dismissed a lawsuit seeking to block Nebraska's efforts to resume executions after more than two decades. 
A Lancaster County District Judge ruled last week that two death penalty opponents who filed the lawsuit lacked standing to do so. Senator Ernie Chambers and Reverend Stephen Griffith alleged in their suit that Nebraska's execution protocol was developed without following state law and procedures. They asked the court to stop any executions until a proper protocol is implemented. The decision follows a request last month from State Attorney General Doug Peterson. He asked the Nebraska Supreme Court to speed up its decision on issuing a death warrant for an inmate on death row. Later this month, Lincoln will see autonomous vehicles in the Haymarket area. Rose White, Public Affairs Director for AAA Nebraska, explains more. Lincoln received a grant to be one of the first cities around the world to have a driverless shuttle. There will be a select group of people that will take part in the trial phase and they'll ride the shuttle, test routes, and provide their feedback. And it is expected that sometime maybe later on this summer it will be open to the public. With two recent fatality crashes involving autonomous driverless vehicles, AAA has seen a decline in the public's trust in the new technology. A member of President Donald Trump's cabinet will be in Omaha later this week to discuss law enforcement actions to combat the opioid crisis. U.S. Attorney General Jeff Sessions will address reporters at the U.S. Attorney's Office on Thursday morning. Acting DEA Administrator Robert Patterson will also attend the event. Sessions is head of the United States Department of Justice and is considered the nation's top law enforcement official. A retired high school teacher who lived in a modest two-bedroom home until her death has donated $7.4 million to the University of Kansas. The school says that LaVon Brousseau's gift will benefit students majoring in the arts, humanities, and education. Brousseau said before her death in 2016 at the age of 88 that it's not what you get in life that's important, it's what you share. The release says she was raised in a farmhouse that lacked plumbing and electricity. She taught English in Concordia and volunteered as a tutor well into her 80s. Her husband, Jack Brousseau, who co-owned a small glass company, died in 1998. The couple used their savings to buy farmland, which made up a large part of their estate. Great ag and news coverage at your fingertips. Click podcasts and videos right under Listen Live at KRVN.com. I'm Dave Schroeder. For one cattle producer from the state of Nebraska, coming to the World Meat Congress was almost like going home. J.D. Alexander is past president of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. He attended World Meat Congress when it was in Paris. Coming here now as a producer versus a board member, it came of another insight of agriculture. Well, this is tremendous. I mean, it really is. And the unique thing in, in my case, uh, I was very fortunate to go to this meeting six years ago when it was in Paris. Uh, I was very fortunate to be the president of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association at that time. And they held this meeting over there, so you know I was exposed to it. Uh, enjoyed it. Uh, things have changed. And so I had the opportunity to come down to this. Uh, this year it was uh, very, very much uh, rewarding and, and glad I did it. In a lot of the interviews and the discussions I've had here, there seems to be a consistent theme, and that's the word consistency. Um, they talk about the consistent product that the United States is able to produce, even with the wide regional aspects that we have in the country. What's unique about this is I think when, you, when you're looking at uh, our industry, and us in particular, the beef, yeah, you're talking about not only North America, United States, but around the world. And I think the unique thing about this is, is we've got 
issues that uh, we need to address as a whole. And what I mean by that is, you know, we're competitors with these countries, and uh, but we've got the same product. And so as a total, we've got to look out for the wholeness uh, to make sure it's not slandered, uh, make sure that the truth and the product comes out. Uh, so we're in a roundabout way competitors, but we're working together to solve issues and so on. Regional basis, it's uh, maybe a little bit same as uh, us being a producer in North America or the United States. We've got different regions, but we're still cattlemen at heart. And he agreed there's the need to have that face-to-face -face discussion without the politics. Uh, well, you hit it on the head. Uh, I think that's, that's the key. Well, there is politics involved, and unfortunately we're getting affected by a lot of that. Uh, it's important that we, as producers, as purveyors, uh, a lot of people market the product around. And, and like I said, we've got to work together to make it, to, to make it work uh, in getting the, the sales accomplished, getting the, the product to the consumer. Um, you know, it's, it's just a huge, huge issue, and, and I think it's important we all get together so we can get through some of the myths, uh, work over some of the problems. Uh, but it is enlightening, I will tell you that. There's a lot of information here. They're going right now through uh, the different generations and so on, millennials and so on, and uh, about how the, the different uh, spending habits are, how you've got to be innovative, creating. You know, our product is not new. You know, and I'm speaking from the beef industry. You know, we've we've got a product that's been around, and we've got to find ways to make sure that it's still being asked for and people enjoy it. And one of the unique aspects of the World Meat Congress was the opportunity to look at that younger generation, how they spend their money, where they want to eat, and how they want to eat. I'm learning stuff here. You know that. Uh, I don't even realize, but people analyze those type of spending habits, uh, you know, what they're looking for, convenience. Uh, we've known a lot of this. Things have changed. Our product has changed over the year. But it, it's very interesting to now to look. We're now looking at the future. In fact, that's what the sessions are today is futuristic, and, and how do you be prepared for it? And Alexander, who is a producer from Pender, Nebraska, talks about some of the take he's bringing with him from this meeting compared to the meeting he attended in Paris. An opportunity to share and grow after the World Meat Congress. It, it's, a, it's a big industry. Um, we've got a, a growing world population. Uh, they need to be fed. Uh, our Secretary of Agriculture was here yesterday, uh, Purdue, and he basically said it's our duty to feed the world. The challenge I've got is I do understand that, but producers, uh, active producers such as myself, we do feel that, but we also have to make a living. And uh, uh, unfortunately, that's been quite a bit of a challenge here for the last you know, several years. So well, we can do what we do very well, we're very good at producing, uh, to be sustainable in a lot of different ways, we've also got to be profitable or be able to, to stay in business. And uh, I think it's, 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 a, it's a, a balance, it's going to be a tough one, but uh, people expect us to feed the world, we can do it, but we've also got to do it in a way that, that we can sustain our own businesses. That is my conversation with Pender, Nebraska cattleman. J.D. Alexander.
We did see the 2018 World Meat Congress conclude last Friday a sessions focusing on the consumer trends in education as well as an in-depth look at cutting-edge technologies reshaping meat production around the world. By the way, there was over 48 countries in attendance with 700-plus participants in the event. It will have a two-year hiatus. It'll be back where it'll be in Cancun. For the World Meat Congress is held every two years. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Next, let's get a review of the livestock futures trade with Joe Teal at Great Plains Commodities. Joe. Yeah, pretty good day uh, uh, today in uh, in the cattle trade. Uh, we ended up uh, with triple-digit gains uh, right on through uh, the uh, live cattle and the uh, feeder cattle. Uh, uh, it was a uh, pretty good turnaround. A uh, couple of things that really uh, influenced the market today was uh, the fact that the very few cattle that have traded seem to be pretty much holding steady and uh, uh, there hasn't been very many cutouts uh, holding uh, pretty well too uh, at higher money so we, we continue with this big discount that we've had and that attracted uh, some buying then you throw in the Chinese coming in and saying hey we uh, think we might want to buy some uh, American agricultural goods and uh, the next thing you know you have uh, a a pretty good rally going uh, because that would include beef and that certainly uh, got the fire ignited in the way we went. Didn't have any uh, sharply higher so a pretty good day. Did not affect the hogs that much except to bring them off their lows. They stayed lower almost all day long except for the very back end of the market. They did manage to come back and close higher. Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Call them at 800-328-0134. This is the Rural Radio Network. Cargill is heading up a private coalition to look at water sustainability, and in particular, the water sustainability over the entire beef supply chain. We dive into this subject deeper right here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton. Joining us from Cargill is Courtney Hall. She's the Technical Sustainability Manager for Cargill. So, Courtney, obviously Cargill is involved in a lot of agriculture businesses, but in particular in the beef industry, especially on the packing side. But you guys are looking at the entire beef supply chain from the cow-calf operation all the way to when that package is sitting on the grocer's shelf or on the consumer's plate. So when Cargill and its partners, Nestle Purina and the Nature Conservancy, were looking at this project idea to study, kind of give us some background and thought of what it takes to look at when you look at water conservation over the entire beef supply chain. So I think it goes back to the resiliency of supply chains. So a common sustainability assessment that companies do is a life cycle assessment. That means we look at the resources that are needed to deliver a unit of product to the market, in this case beef, along the entire supply chain. So we look at how much water goes into the crops that go into the feed, how much the animal is drinking, how much water is used for food safety and processing. And so when you look at that entire supply chain, 96% of the water is in the feed that the animals are eating and 50% is in row crops. 
we're focused we're focusing our effort where it matters most Courtney, the three companies are studying how they can better conserve this irrigation water used for row crops right in Nebraska on the Ogallala Aquifer where a lot of irrigation takes place. What is your plan in working with producers to save this water? What we're doing is we're giving farmers access to smart weather sensors and fields and then the technology that helps them control their irrigation units. Instead of relying on coarse weather estimates and driving out to the fields, Farmers are now going to have control at their fingertips with their smartphones, and that reduces the farmer's need to drive to multiple fields to assess overnight rainfall, and that takes much of the guesswork out of irrigation. Our goal with this project is, an, is to enroll 50 farmers, which will impact 75,000 acres. And so we're hoping with that enrollment, we'll, we'll, be happy, we'll be able to have a really big impact on water savings. So the Nature Conservancy is estimating that this project will save about 2.4 billion gallons of irrigation water over the project period of three years, which is equivalent to the water use of more than 7,200 households. While the study does look to save water, for producers it still takes an economic factor. If they cut their irrigation, what does that help them and their bottom line? The farmers are going to be saving water, but they're also saving cost. Much of the cost for irrigation is not in the water itself. It's in the energy to pump and then the labor to drive around and adjust your irrigation unit. This will help the farmers be a little bit more resilient, and that, that, that benefits the entire beef supply chain. Courtney, where can producers go to find out more information, to possibly find out more information about signing up their acres, or to see early results from this trial? Yeah, so far we're really focusing on getting the technology to the farmers and then having training sessions how to use it, and that's being run by the Nature Conservancy. So if farmers have interest in learning more about this project, I think the the best people to go to are the Nature Conservancy, and we can... We can definitely help you with that as well. That is Courtney Hall, Technical Sustainability Manager at Cargill, talking to us about this new partnership to study water sustainability and improve water sustainability across the entire beef supply chain. Keep listening to the Rural Radio Network. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network as we talk with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. It stood to reason that after the tumbling of prices yesterday that we could come back on a turnaround Tuesday. Looks like we did in at least a couple of commodities. Yeah, you know, I mean, in morning, this morning it was good. We got some rumors out of, I think, Reuters report, a couple sourced reports that China's now increasing uh, the ag purchases to $70 billion. Now, I'm not sure if that's over, like, a one-year period, if they're going to span that out. Not a lot of details with it, but these these rumors tend to come out. The market jumps on it, and then uh, into the close, we did back off a little bit. But um, you know, I think the the margin call selling and kind of the technical washout we've seen over the last two, or the last seven sessions uh, appears to be done. Uh, I think now we look at kind of preparing for next week's WASD and then the uh, interest rate hike that uh, some are preparing for as well. I think that may be driving the price action more than a lot of people are letting on. You know, we can talk fundamentals, we can talk weather, but the cost of capital is certainly something that I think a lot of folks out there are concerned about, especially if it's going to do what uh, we expect over the next six to nine months. Um, the outside markets are really keeping everything at zero as far as rates go, and it's very steady and low, and the U.S. is going another direction. And I think that's one reason why we've seen the Brazilian real fall out of bed, the ruble being weak, uh, and, and it's just another hurdle we're fighting um, really across the ag space. So uh, to see the markets close green today was good. I, I think 
380 should hold uh, into July delivery. Uh, I, I expect the Wazir report next week to uh, to be somewhat supportive. But if if grains are going to rise, it's going to have to be led by the wheat. Is that true? Oh, I think so. I mean, I, this isn't the time of the year where wheat tends to rally, but I will remind everybody, June of last year, we broke, I think it was 35 cents between like the 17th of June and the 23rd or 25th of June around those dates, and then rallied 42 cents into the mid part of July. And I think that's kind of what I'm preparing for here. Uh, I'm sure it's going to happen exactly that way. The weather is certainly something that's going to drive it, but... Um, you know, the global weather is, is what, where the factors are. The U.S. weather is ideal. Uh, very few people I talk to outside of the state of Texas are concerned about anything. But I think the prices reflect that now. And overall, in the soybean market, uh, again, there's a little bit of question mark whether we could maintain this gains. Today, of course, was fractionally mixed. Yeah, $10 held uh, into the close, which is nice on the July. We still are somewhat elevated to where we were a year ago. But, again, I think the, the gap got closed technically. So if you're a buyer on that, I, th- I think that's a good sign. Uh, and then we'll watch exports on Thursday and, then of course, the Wazi next week. Thanks, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. Again, go to danielsagmarketing.com. This is the Rural Radio Network.